Ecclesiastes chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 11 will be our text. I will go ahead and just read the first four verses for context there. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does this man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea. For the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those come after. And thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray for his help. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, these uh, stark words of the preacher. We pray, Lord, that you would be at work in our hearts to give us understanding and to discern uh, what is being said. We ask, Lord, that our hearts would be enlightened in the knowledge of Christ by these words. And that you would work faith in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it has been a little while since we uh, considered the first four verses of Ecclesiastes back in July last year. It may be helpful to do a brief review of those verses. And you might recall... uh, that my understanding of the preacher of Ecclesiastes is most likely to be a reference to King Solomon and his reign. And part of my reason for saying this is that the word translated as preacher has to do with one who assembles or who speaks to an assembly. And there are, there are other aspects of uh, what is said in Ecclesiastes that tie into the life of Solomon. Well, we briefly considered 1 Kings chapter 8 with the famous assembly of the people of Israel when the temple had been built and how that might be what is in mind in calling Solomon by this term translated as preacher. As he had indeed called an assembly in the word uh, that is at root there is uh, the same. And in connection with that, we also looked at the phrase vanity of vanities, 
all is vanity, and came to realize that the Hebrew word that is involved in this phrase uh, has as its more concrete meaning mist or vapor. And from that clarity of meaning, we came to the more abstract idea that what is meant by saying vanity of vanities, what is meant by this word is that all is passing away. Kind of like how the mist and vapor of a foggy morning will dissipate in the light of the sun or the mist and vapor of your breath on a cold day go out into the air, hang for a moment, and then disappear. It is there and then it is gone. And we remembered that all creation is indeed destined to pass away. But we took note that the focus of those verses was especially on mankind and the futility as he experiences it. And amid these things, we saw that the preacher put the question, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? We considered that because of God's curse against sinful man, death comes for us all. One generation comes and another goes, but the earth seems to last forever compared to man. This makes it seem like mankind can never get a handle on his environment. Nothing seems to come to completion. Everything is in a constant state of change. But we can't help but hope for completed and lasting things. Since the creation of the world, the great hope of man for which we have been made has been to enter God's rest. The troubles that God has poured out against sinful man and the futility to which God has subjected the creation all have the effect of bearing witness to to one truth, which is that the lasting hope of man is not to be found in this present creation. Rather, all our hope is in the son of David, king in the new Jerusalem. And as we continue today with verses 5 through 11 of our passage, our theme remains much the same. That the lasting hope of man is not to be found in man's experiences, his labors, or even his remembrance, but in God alone. And we learn this as we observe in verses 5 through 8, the futility of man's experiences. And in verses 9 through 10, the futility of man's labor. And then in uh, verse 11, the futility of man's remembrance. So in verses 5 through 8, we read about the futility of man's experiences. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, 
nor the ear filled with hearing. The preacher speaks of how the sun rises and goes down. How there's a weariness even in the day today. It rises and it goes down, runs back to the place where it rises panting as it goes. The wind goes around endlessly, never finding a rest. The streams run into the sea, but the sea is never filled. Over and over, again and again, on and on and on it goes. And yet, the fullness has not come. There is no end of the matter. We might here be reminded of God's words of promise after the flood in Genesis 8, 22, where he promised that the earth would not again be destroyed with water. At that time, he said, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And that is as long as the earth endures. There is no fulfillment or end to these endless cycles of creation. But we know that an end is coming. There will come a day where there is no more night. There will come an endless day. We know that there is a time when these cycles will come to an end because the present creation does not endure forever. And the preacher seems to be looking around at things and asking, where is history going? What, what is going on in this creation that the Lord has made? These things just keep happening. The creation keeps doing its thing and we don't have any real control over it. We experience much the same thing day in and day out as the years roll by. It is like an endless march, and what does it amount to? The very creation seems to point to this, not only in the sun and the wind and the rivers, but in my own eyes and ears. There is a ceaselessness to the patterns and seasons of this world, a weariness. Even as the generations of man labor and then die, The history of this world shows how it is that a generation, as David said, as he was approaching death, goes the way of all the earth, which is unto death. Another generation comes and will also go in like manner. We will all die. But where is the day of rest for the creation? Where indeed is the day of man's rest when the cycle of death will cease? There's a hymn that talks about this onward march of time in this way. Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. They fly forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. We often live life looking for accomplishments, rest, and getting something finished. But nothing seems to be finished. It's always on to the next. Check. And on to the next. Here in Ecclesiastes, we have the preacher saying something akin 
to what some atheists like Richard Dawkins might say, that the universe seems to exhibit blind, pitiless indifference towards man. However, unlike Dawkins, the preacher is saying this so that his hearers will think about what gives meaning. He shows the shakiness of the foundations of this present age. His words shake the foundations of the earth. Everything is passing away, and nothing seems to be getting accomplished in a definitive way. There's always something. Even if you do it all, you're going to die, and there's going to be another thing coming. This creation seems to be bearing witness to futility and weariness. Are you troubled by this? Does this make you wonder if there is more than simply what is under the sun? Does this make you ask what life is all about? I think we've all seen the weariness of this world. We can go and look at all the creation. We can see every last inch of it. And even our very eyes can't seem to be satisfied with seeing. They can see it all, but we will wish we could see more. What does it change, even if we see all that there is to see? What does it really change? We can listen to all the things that are in the creation. And yet our hearing continues on to the next thing. Uh, In our culture, we have a whole industry built on an endless desiring to watch and to hear what is trying to be gotten at in this. There's there's something reaching for a, a beauty. There's a desire in man to have some fulfillment. And yet, what does it turn into? It turns into one thing right after the other. You've got to see all the series and the Avengers or whatever it may be. You've got to listen to the next audiobook put out by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, there's just a never-ending stream of things that pulls you along to the next, to the next, to the next. It's, it's, it is wearisome. The affairs of the life of man are so often filled with a certain futility. Even as Adam and Eve stole that fruit which was pleasing to their eyes in the hopes of grasping after a fullness or consummation apart from God, so too man now desires that which is not yet ordained to be his by sight. It is not yet the day of glory. And so we are not satisfied with seeing. We go and look here and there. We go and listen to this and to that. We devour, but we are not filled. What weariness. Yet it all bears witness to us that the lasting hope of man is not to be found in man's experiences. Man cannot attain to eternal rest and fullness. You must seek the one to whom it belongs. If he is to eat and to be satisfied, he must go to the Lord. If he is to drink and no longer be thirsty, he must go to the Lord. If he is to find a word 
that stands forever. He must go to the Lord. But we also see in verses 9 through 10 the futility of man's labor. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. We might recoil at these intense questions and say to the preacher, maybe it isn't about our experiences. Maybe we need to get out there and make a difference. Maybe the substance of life is found in making societal change and manipulating our environment. Why be so negative? Here, too, the preacher seems to give us pause by persisting to ask, is there any lasting change? It's not that these things aren't good, but we're trying to get to the root of the matter. We look into the realm of the nations and we see and hear the glorious song of varying causes throughout history. Surely this will bring us peace and rest and glory. Someone might say, if only we could overturn these abusive authorities and make everyone equal. Someone else might say, well, if only we could attain to the liberty of the true constitutional republic with a moral society, then we would be a shining city on the hill. And maybe there are aspects of that that could be true. But all the accomplishments of history have gone on to yield other challenges interpretations, struggles. They just keep going. And historians will tell you that history does repeat itself. We can look to the realm of the merchants of the earth and they stand out crying with a loud voice, get the latest new thing. You need the latest smartphone. You need the latest model of car, computer, toothbrush, vitamin, and on and on and on. And these things are supposed to be fulfilling you somehow. But what do any of these things lastingly change about the human condition, man's fallen condition? What do these things change about the weariness of the creation? There's nothing really new. There's just another manipulation of the environment. Sure often for good. But there's still no end of the matter. In truth, there's a sense of changelessness to this restless wandering of our rebellious flesh in this age. There is nothing new under the sun. We recycle our problems and the solutions to them. Man continues to easily set their heart in all manner of things around him. The creation declares the glory of God. But like Isaiah's commission, the creation has the commission to speak to a people who keep on hearing but do not understand, who keep on seeing but do not perceive, having dull hearts, heavy ears, and blind eyes. What futility. Though God speaks to us through his works of creation, we refuse to acknowledge him. We tend to reject him and suppress that truth. 
world is used as an idol. And the Lord will come to the point where he removes that idol from our hands. All the accomplishments and experiences of man are passing away. Our labors in a certain sense, according to the flesh, all the works of our hands will pass away in a certain sense of futility. That is not to say that they don't have their proper place. But it is to say that these things are not the chief end of man. These things in themselves. This is why the preacher is so negative here. The lasting hope of man is not to be found in man's experiences nor in man's labor. But it is is to be found in God. God is the one who makes all things new. He is the one who, in the end, establishes the works of our hands. But now, perhaps someone might say, well, forget about that. Let's, it's just being a pain. Sure, history keeps moving on, and the accomplishments that people make end up no longer holding sway and giving rise to something else. Um, Sure, history repeats itself, but we can be recorded in the annals of history. We can, we can remember those great accomplishments of old. We can pass on those accomplishments. We can remember and future generations can do better. Here the preacher points to the futility of man's remembrance. There is no remembrance of former things. Nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. It is not enough to simply commit accomplishments to memory or to record them down. It is not in the mind of man that existence is found, but rather in the mind of God. When we read history, we don't necessarily read it as it was, but as it has been recorded. To complicate things, we read past history oftentimes in light of our own experiences. In many ways, the reality of former things is long past. There's a real sense in which the fullness of even those past experiences is irretrievable. Countless people and their accomplishments are forgotten in the transmission of history. Once the old generation passes away who experienced the things that happened to them during their lifetime, no one remains to thoroughly know and understand what has come before them. How many of you know much of anything about the lives of your great-grandparents? Great-great-grandparents. About your great-great-great-grandparents. Off the top of your head, can you give an account of all of their lives and the significant uh, things that they did and what they found to be meaningful? Most folks don't know much. Many don't know anything at all about it. Most people's life stories are likely to be forgotten even by their own family members, in one or two generations. 
These are all dark and perplexing things. Why is the preacher saying these things? Some have painted him as speaking foolishness that needs to be refuted. But I believe that the Bible portrays the preacher as one who sees a real futility in things and who truly understands that everything is passing away. As I've already said, his words reveal the shakiness of the foundations of the present creation. He sees the futility of man's experiences. He sees the futility of man's labors and the futilities of his remembrance. And as he points these things out to us, we are meant to be pondering why it is that we do the things that we do. And are our pursuits worthwhile? This is wisdom literature. It is meant to make us slow down and give careful consideration. We are meant to recall that question asked in verse 3. What does man gain by all of the toil at which he toils under the sun? What is man's lasting hope? The lasting hope of man is not to be found in man's experience, labor, or remembrance, but in God alone. It helps us to see how small we truly are here in God's creation. It helps us to see how dependent we are on him. For the fulfillment of our own lives. It helps us to see that God is the only one who can make a lasting positive gain from man's weak and futile labors. So that we ought to be living our lives in consultation to his word. So as to do what is good and right and pleasing in his sight. We are finite and so we ought to be seeking to know and to be known by the one who keeps us for all eternity. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem at a high point in her history. And his kingdom was a fulfilled promise of God to David. By any external measurement, he seemed to have it all. Gold was cheap in his day. Silver was cheap in his day because there was so much gold. But here, the author of Ecclesiastes is pointing out to us that even Solomon's kingdom was passing away under the sun of this creation. Even at that apex, there was a lack of full fulfillment of the hope of the people of God. It wasn't about that land, but it was about the land through which Abraham uh, was looking in faith. Christ himself says that Solomon in all his glory was not clothed in such glory as the flowers of the field. That we know that the grass withers and the flower fades. But God's word lasts forever. The preacher's words shape the foundations of our lives so that we can learn to stand on the unshakable and victorious foundation of faith in God. God made us. We labor for his glory. We suffer for his glory. The only meaning any man can hope for is that meaning established by God. He is the one who brings all things to the end for which he created them. That is the beauty of his working in you 
to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. His is an eternal purpose, and we are citizens of an everlasting kingdom. We serve the one who is greater than Solomon. We serve the risen Christ who has triumphed over death. And so you don't have to be afraid of being forgotten. He knows you and has loved you from before the foundation of the earth. And you know that your life isn't about you, but about him. If you live your life hoping in Jesus and worshiping him, pouring your life out on the dry and dusty ground of this world like a drink offering to him, then you will not be put to shame. You will not be forgotten. You will be fulfilled. As we suffer the perplexities and the distresses of life in this present world, we look to God knowing that he is good. And as it is written in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. He did not spare his own son, lavishing his love upon us. May we entrust our lives to the glory of God as we worship him. Knowing that he will establish the works of our hands when he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. His is the rest for which we labor. May the Lord alone be our lasting hope as we remember that the lasting hope of man is not to be found in man's experiences, labor, or remembrance. May we serve the Lord with thankful hearts as we hope in him. Amen.